welcome, and thank you for joining us here on Doctrinal Studies with Dr. Tab. For those of you who don't know, Dr. M. H. Tab was born into God's family almost 56 years ago by the wonderful grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He then served as a Christian school principal, Bible Institute teacher, administrator, and assistant pastor. In 1980, God then called Dr. Tab to establish Gulf Coast Baptist Church, where he pastored for 40 years. He continues his service now as the founder of Gulf Coast Bible Institute, preacher, and author of over 46 doctrinal books. Let us now open our Bibles together with Dr. Tab as our guide and rightly divide the word of truth here on Doctrinal Studies with Dr. Tab. Well, today we're going to consider the subject of the eternal security of the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we who believe that are accused of uh, having the idea of once saved, always saved, so we can live like we please. Of course, nothing can be further from the truth. We who believe the Scriptures know God chastens those who uh, get into sin, get out of order from Him, backslide, and so on and so forth. So that's not a license to sin because we believe you can't lose your salvation. Most of professing Christianity believes that, that you can lose your salvation. Although if you back one in a corner, he can't tell you what sin it requires to lose it. Uh, and so it becomes a foggy thing in anybody's mind. We've, many of us, I have, many of us have probably dealt with with Christians who thought they could lose their salvation or thought, uh, even though they did what the Bible says to get saved, and that is have faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and call on Him for salvation, Romans 10, verses 10 through 13. Um, we've dealt with people like that and tried to help them see the truth of that matter. Eternal security of a believer is an ultra-serious doctrine. Nobody can keep himself saved. I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures uh, just, to, just to say the, where they are. You can look them up on your own, please, and, and instead of me taking the time for all of that because there's a lot of scripture involved here. But nobody can keep himself saved, according to Psalm 22, verse 29. So if God doesn't keep a person saved, then we're all destined for hell because we all sin even after we get saved. We all drift away from God from time to time. And so if, if a sin can put us in hell, that's what we deserve even after we're saved. We sin every day. First John 1, verses 8 through 10 tells you that. Ecclesiastes 7, 20. And it only takes one sin to violate the whole law of God, according to James 2, verses 10 and 11. So if you've committed one sin, you've, as far as God's concerned, you've committed his law. Uh, you've committed a violation of his law, which is taken as a unit in entirety. So any and all sins are transgression of God's holy law. We're told that in, in the New Testament, 1 John 3, verse 4. So this issue concerns the very integrity of God, since he has promised unconditionally to give us a gift, eternal life, John 3, 16. Uh, to do that, he must keep us. The eternal security of the saints is taught in both testaments. Have you got that, Christian? People saved in the Old Testament were secure just as surely as people in the New Testament, and we're not going to get into that today, but we can do that at a later time, possibly. Uh, there's no example in the entire Bible of any saved person ever losing his salvation, uh, having it taken from him in any way whatsoever, or being allowed to give it up. 
Every sin imaginable is attributed to a child of God in the Bible. Murder, lying, adultery, whatever you want to come up with, one of the one of the saved people in the Bible was guilty of just like David, guilty of both adultery and murder. And so uh, none of them lost their salvation over any of the things they did. They got chastened, they got punished if they were saved, but they didn't lose their salvation. Now I'm sure if anybody wants to give up his salvation, as I had a, a man tell me one time when we were talking about uh, this subject, he was... He was uh, he was in Church of Christ and thought you could give it up if you decide you didn't like it, trade heaven back for hell. I'm sure if somebody had that frame of mind, God take, would take into consideration that such a person had lost his mind, he was mentally ill, and thereby keep him saved in spite of, uh, of himself, as the Bible talks about in supporting the feeble-minded and so forth. God promised that all who would receive his Son as Savior would be given, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, eternal life, John 3, 16, John 6, 37, John 5, 24, Romans 10, 9 through 13, 1 John 2, 25, and a multitude of other passages. Now, if God didn't keep that promise, then he would be a liar. Look at Numbers 23, 19, 1 John 5, verses 10 through 13, Philippians 1, 6, Ecclesiastes 3, 14. We are kept by God's power and God's promise, not by our own. Hebrews 6, 16 through 20, 2 Timothy 1, verse 12, Jude 24, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24, 1 Peter 1, 5, Hebrews 12, 2, uh, such verses as Titus 1, verse 2, and 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 5, and Psalm 37, verse 28, and Psalm 138, verse 8, and John 10, verses 27 through 29. Those verses and a multitude of verses prove that a saved person is eternally saved. Eternal or everlasting does not mean temporary or on trial. It means forever without ceasing. So, once a person receives the Lord Jesus Christ as a Savior, then God begins an eternal process in that person's life. Philippians 1, 6 tells you that. Romans 8, 29 through 39. Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. And now I know I'm giving you a ton of scriptures, and that's why we don't have time to look them up and read them all, but I'll guarantee you read these and with an open heart. You'll see God has saved. If you're saved, he saved you forever. And if you're not saved, he wants to save you forever. The most carnal Christians in the Bible were promised that kind of eternal security. That was the church of Corinth, 1 Corinthians 1, verses 7 through 9. And by the way, any other creature mentioned in Romans 8, 39, nothing can separate us from love of Christ, including any other creature. Well, that would include you, that would include me, that would include the devil, any other creature. I cannot destroy my free salvation from God, and neither can the devil. Now, Someone asked me one time, he said, uh, in effect, here's what he asked. Does the act of belief need only occur in one crisis experience or must it be an ongoing action? And he said, reason leads me to believe that it must be ongoing and my interpretation of scripture is affected by that assumption. Well, he had that correct. It was an assumption. And... Uh, uh, when he said reason leads me, we're not we're not going by reason here. We're going by faith in the Word of God. 
reason cannot be the basis of uh, Bible interpretation. Faith is all that will get that job done. Hebrews 11, 6, without faith. Not without reason, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. Hebrews 10, 17, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Salvation is a, he, said, he asked, is it a one crisis experience? Well, yes, it is. It occurs the moment a person repents and exercises faith in the finished work of Christ. Romans 10, 13, Acts 20, verse 21. The real question uh, is this then, does that one-time experience result in an eternal salvation, as John 3.16 promises, or a temporary one based on what the recipient does afterward? Paul, <clears throat> Paul rebuked those who realized uh, that their salvation was based entirely on faith, but now think that they can somehow Change that. Romans 3, verse 3, Galatians 3, verses 1 to 3. He asked the Galatian Christians whether they got saved by their works or by faith. Now, having established that their salvation was strictly by faith, with no works of theirs whatsoever, Paul then proceeded to ask them where they were they were they now so foolish as to think that their eternal security, there is the continual maintainer of their salvation, if that was now dependent on what they did or did not do, or that somehow their works entered into the picture. Now, even if a Christian stops having faith, no longer believes in the Lord because of sin in his life or backsliding condition, his salvation is based on the promise and integrity and commitment of God himself. And so it remains unaffected by his unbelief. 2 Timothy 2, verse 13 tells you that. Romans 3, verses 3 and 4. God works out ways to maintain uh, our, the salvation he gives us, uh, even if we are wayward and backslidden Christians. He devises, the Bible says, means that his banished, those of his who are in exile because of their sin, be not expelled, not permanently away from him, uh, be not expelled from him. You read that in 2 Samuel 14, verse 14. John 6, 37 backs that up. So God's means of keeping us saved when we don't deserve it is through chastening. Psalm 89, verses 29 to 34. Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 11. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 30 through 32. In fact, Psalm 78 tells you God uh, kept his children intact even when the heart was not right with him. Well, that's in sin or backsliding condition. If God saved us while we were sinners, Romans 5, 8 says he did, then, and we were God's enemies, Romans 5, 10, and we were ungodly, Romans 5, 6, then what in the world could we do now uh, that would make him take a, uh, away our salvation now that we're saints, Romans 8, 32. Jesus said the scripture cannot be broken, John 10, 35. So God's promise stands regardless of what we think or do. Amen. Eternal secure. When a person receives the Lord Jesus as a Savior, God puts his sin, the person's sin, on Christ's account. That's called imputation. And it's paid for in full on Calvary and gives to that person God's own righteousness. Imputation again. Um, and, the, and that's the only means whereby God can justify anybody is by means of imputing his righteousness to them and imputing his, their sin to Jesus Christ on the cross. Romans 3, verses 21 to 23. Romans 4, verses 1 through 8. That principle is illustrated in, in Philemon, verses 17, 18. If anything, if, if after uh, I rescued him, if anything uh, on his account, 
bad comes up, I'll pay for it when I return, and so on. So the principle is there, you see. God receives us as he would receive his only begotten son and loves us with the same love, John 17, 23. That is a hard one to grasp, that he loves the saints as he loves his only begotten son. We're saved not by our own righteousness, Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, According to his mercy, he saved us. Isaiah 64, verse 6. We're kept saved, not by our own righteousness, but by the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. We cannot save ourselves, and we cannot keep ourselves saved, but he can and does. So God saves and God secures that salvation through imputed righteousness, and that imputation is how he can justify himself in saving and keeping us. And yes, Romans 3, verse 4, and Romans 3, 24 to 26, and verse 28, God justifies himself in saving the unrighteous. In Romans 3, God exonerates himself for saving and keeping sinners by means of imputation. Through faith, we're justified before God. Romans 5, verse 1. God has baptized us, talking about Christians now, into the body of Christ, not water baptism. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 to 34, Ephesians 1, 14, Ephesians 4, 30. All water baptism is going to do for you, get you wet. It's symbolic, as uh, 1 Peter 3 brings out very clearly. But God has baptized us into the body of Christ. He's adopted us into his family, Ephesians 1, 5, Ephesians 3, 5. He's made us joint heirs with his only begotten son, Romans 8, 8 17. Uh, think about that a little while, joint heirs with Christ. And he's predestinated, predestinated us. And the word predestination, anywhere in the Bible, only found uh, two or three places, it applies only to the saved, never the unsaved. Nobody's predestinated to go to hell. Uh, there goes the tulip uh, doctrine of Calvin. So uh, he's predestinated us to, number one, be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ, Romans 8, 29. He's predestinated us, number two, to an eternal inheritance, Ephesians 1, 11, uh, 1 Peter 1, 4. Now, can we unsun, that is, unadopt a child of ours? No, you can't legally do that, and neither can God. He's adopted you into his family. He can't unadopt you. No matter what your child does, he or she may lose some inheritance, and that's what we lose. It's called rewards in the Bible, reign with Christ in his kingdom when we're not right with him. So an adopted child can lose inheritance, but he or she will still always be your child if you've legally adopted them into your family. That's what God has done for us Christians. To not see eternal security is to misunderstand the doctrines of fatherhood, with a capital F, sonship, adoption, predestination, and imputation. Misunderstands those doctrines. It's also a confusing of the difference between our sin nature, which is singular, and our committing sins, plural, uh, that's the difference in standing in state with the child of God. We'll not get into that right now. Uh, it's a misunderstanding of the Christian's dual nature. Ephesians 4.22, Galatians 5.17. Yes, you, if you're saved, you have a dual nature. You still have that Adamic nature you were born with, descended from Adam, and you've got the divine nature you got from God when he saved you. Uh, misunderstanding this doctrine also loses sight of the difference as I said a minute ago, between the doctrines of standing and state. If you're saved, your standing in Christ is perfect. Many scriptures back that up. 
but your state may be pathetic. You may be totally backslidden from God. Difference in those two things. And uh, the Lord brings that difference out in the Old Testament back there in, um, in uh, Numbers, uh, dealing with, um, with Israel in the wilderness. God saves us. God keeps us saved for his own sake, not for ours. He, he gives you eternal security, not because you, but because of him. He forgives us for his son's sake, not for our sake. Ephesians 4, 32. Isaiah 4, 43, 25. A new evangelist, he always ended his prayer. Uh, we pray this, uh, Lord, for uh, our sake. No, no, no. We pray it for his sake. We don't pray in our name. We pray in his name. We're going to be exalted one of these days. That takes place in heaven, Romans 8, 17. But not in our own righteousness. We'll be exalted in his righteousness. Psalm 89, verses 16 through 17. When Paul concerned himself about being a castaway, that is being, as 1 Corinthians 9, 27, being put on the shelf, no longer useful to God in his, in his service or ministry, he wasn't worried about losing his salvation. He was just worried about being out of fellowship with his God. The same thing David was worried about in his, in his psalm of repentance. Uh, Restore to me the joy of thy uh, salvation. Uh, the same man that asked me the question I mentioned earlier, he said this, quote, he said, I have no problem with you believing in what's saved, always saved, for, for this very reason. You do not tolerate sin. Well, all of us tolerate sin to some degree or other. Any professing Christian who thinks eternal security is a license to sin is very sorely mistaken. He stands in abject ignorance of the scriptures. No, not, no, not the law, the Lord, or nor yet the scriptures, as Jesus said to those uh, scribes that were accosting him. So it's ignorance of the scriptures. And um, it's, that person's in for a great surprise at the Jeff's seat of Christ. First Corinthians 3, verses 13 through 17. You'll see his bad works burned up, but his salvation will be intact. And by the way, that last passage in First Corinthians 3, it also shows the security of the believer in that living any way besides the way God wants us to live will result not in lost salvation, but in lost rewards. Amen. Verse 15 of that chapter brings that out. Well, I pray and trust and hope that this, this little podcast will be a blessing to somebody who has been wrestling with their salvation. Thank you, and God bless you till next time.